just how good is Turn 10 Games' new hit, Forza Horizon 4? And we're going to be talking about the science of selling out. What does that even mean? I guess you'll have to find out. This is the Insert Coin Theater Podcast. My name is Tim. Let's start the show. been feeling the greatest i've been kind of fighting something whether it be a cold or something like that i'm not entirely sure so if this week's topics are a little light or not up to my usual par i apologize in advance i'm trying really hard to just stay focused and get content created without completely losing the plot so i'm gonna try my best to stay focused tonight i'm gonna try my best to avoid scripting today i my whole entire premise for this show was that it would be a mix of scripted and non-scripted. And I do script as often as I can. And it's kind of hard for me to stay on topic if I don't script things. So I'm trying something a little different today. I have a couple of things for what selling out is, and I'm hopefully going to be able to stay on topic, stay focused. So please forgive me if there's rambling. Please let me know if it's obnoxious or if you like it or if you like the format better. Certain things like the history of games are going to be scripted because due to the nature of them, I want them to be very succinct. I want them to be very straightforward. I want it to be a representation of what came out of my brain. That doesn't have any tangents or any misspoken facts or information. So where we are for this episode is we're going to be doing completely off the cuff. We did the same thing for the last episode, and I feel like I do an okay job of it, but I'm not going to pat myself on the back or anything. I am going to say that keep that in mind going into this. If it's not up to my usual snuff, please feel free to let me know. My Twitter is at insert coin Tim, and you can find me on Discord at insert coin theater hashtag six nine six nine. Just let me know, and uh, I will gladly look into ways that I can improve this. I'm always looking to do better, do something new, do something fresh, and this is a little different for me because my comfort zone is having a written script in front of me. So we're gonna kind of step out from that comfort zone. I did I did that for when we were at PAX, and I did the ever so lovely panels with. Uh, well, first we did the, um, podcasting panel with my boomstick and night tide. And that was, that was about 95% off the cuff. And then the, um, the podcasting panel the or the variety streaming panel, sorry, with, uh, my boomstick or not my boomstick, uh, undead hooligan Hasselhoft and, uh, goes from Texas. We did that entirely off the cuff. And that was, that was a ton of fun. It's different, though, because you have people to bounce off of. When you have a single mic, it's not quite so easy. I'm also trying really hard to take my time and pace myself. I, in the past, have just kind of rushed through everything. And especially when I have a script, I tend to just plod through the script and then I'm done. And I'm trying really hard to make sure that I give you guys your time's worth, your money's worth, I guess, whether you support on Patreon or not. But 
That said, I just want to deliver a good show that isn't completely mind numbing. And so I'm always open to suggestions, thoughts, show ideas, that sort of stuff. Please just let me know if you have any thoughts. I appreciate it. I've gotten some really great suggestions that I haven't really been able to act on due to time and energy. Uh, But thank you and keep them coming. I appreciate them so very much. It means a lot that you guys are as invested into the show as I am. And I'm very, very happy to hear that you guys are enjoying it thus far. So with that said, I'm going to talk a little about Forza Horizon 4. So for those of you who are interested in Forza Horizon 4, this game is incredible. I love this game. This game is so much fun. It is. I'm not a big racer fan. Okay, I'll say that right off the top. Racing games in general aren't really my forte or fort or however you pronounce it. I have always really liked arcadey racers. So games like Blur, if you remember Blur, that game was awesome. Uh, the Burnout series, I love. Uh, Mario Kart, you know, the normal staples there. I love those kind of games because they inject a level of complication with power-ups and weapons and things like that. And it really makes it interesting and engaging in ways that simulation racing just isn't for me. So games like the mainline Forza series, Forza 1 through 7, Forza Motorsport 1 through 7, or the Gran Turismo series, those are definitely not in my wheelhouse. However, Forza Horizon does a really good job of taking the vehicle physics from the mainline Forza Motorsport games and puts them into an arcadey kind of situation. In this case, you are in Britlandia, also known as England, the UK, however you want to look at it. Um, and I think you can actually go to... Uh, is. I think you can go to parts of Scotland in it. But that said, it's it's a really, really beautiful game and really interesting in the Forza Horizon series because the last entry, Forza Horizon 3, was in Australia. And you had this huge, huge amount of the Australian outback to cover and explore. And there were these different Horizon Festival sites. The, the whole concept of the game is this Horizon Festival. It's a series of races and stuff that take over Uh, take place over the country all sorts of stuff happens you do street races you do off-road races you do cross-country races all sorts of stuff in different conditions Uh, nighttime rain snow autumn so there's a lot of mud stuff like that now what's really interesting about this one compared to forza horizon 3 is in forza horizon 3 all along the countryside that you were exploring in australia there were all of these different horizon festival sites and you could quick travel between them and that sort of thing. Well, in in four, you have houses. There's one central festival site towards the south. And then there are houses scattered all over the country or all over the area that you're exploring, the, the parts of the country that you're exploring that you can purchase. And those become your bases of operation. You can visit your garage there. You can visit the auction house. You can upgrade your vehicles. You can do all sorts of stuff. And it's pretty fantastic. I think my favorite part about Forza Horizon, though, is the fact that you are just so free to just do what you want. You can roam around. You can go do all the main races. You can do online multiplayer. There's a ton of stuff you can do and just so much to explore. There are these influence boards and influence works kind of like experience. It's your fans, quote unquote, your fans. So kind of think of them like Twitter followers or stream followers or something like that. And they contribute towards your unlocks and things like that, and what your overall level is. What's interesting is, is that scattered throughout the countryside are all these influence boards. And there are also fast travel boards you can unlock. But that said, the influence boards are everywhere. And so 
part of the challenge is you can go and look for those. You can look for the fast travel boards. You can go find barns. And there are these things called barns that are uh, like countryside structures that, you know, store stuff. Uh, they're not quite the big red barns that you would find in the U.S. or Australia. But the barns in four are interesting because they they in in any of the Horizon games is that they contain cars and these are rare cars. So you'll get barn finds every once in a while that pop up on your map. You go locate the barn and then you get a, a really rare, interesting car that gets restored uh, sometime later that you can go collect. And it's really cool. And to me, it's like Pokemon. There's like 450 cars in this game. It's crazy how many cars there are in this game. And I love collecting stuff. It's fun for me. Add to that, as you level, as you complete challenges and stuff, you get wheel spins. These wheel spins are like little, think of them kind of like a loot box, but it's more, it's closer to like a uh, slot machine where it spins and you get an item, whether it be clothes, whether, and there are several items of clothes like headwear, uh, uh, tops, bottoms, and shoes. So it'll spin. Um, and then there's horns, uh, cars that you can unlock. What else is there that you can get? There's just so many things and credits. You can get credits and credits are used to purchase vehicles and play on the auction house and stuff. So these, these wheel spins are really nice because I don't think you can purchase them with real money. I think you only earn them in game and they're just a bonus. They're a nice little bonus that you get. So they're very fun in that regard. And it's the way that I prefer it to be done. So I love that. That's a ton of fun. So once you get beyond the core aspects of the gameplay with all the exploration, the races, the, the vehicles, the collecting, all that stuff, you can start customizing your vehicles. Now this doesn't just extend to a visual representation. This extends to upgrading the parts of the vehicle as well as tuning for each individual race. So interestingly, you can upgrade almost every part in the vehicle and however high end the parts get, the higher the class your vehicle is. And there's, classes from D all the way up to S2, I think. And that's represented by a number ranging from 100 to 999. And if you'll excuse me, if you hear me um, sounding like blowing my nose or something, I am. I apologize sincerely. It's mainly because I'm really congested and I'm still fighting off whatever schmutz I've been having. Anyways, back on track. So you can customize everything and make it from level 100 or, or 100 points to 999 points, which is S2. And that's your, your D class to your supercars. And interestingly, almost any car can become a supercar with certain upgrades with uh, replacing the engine, upgrading, you know, various pieces from the exhaust to the intakes, to the clutch, to uh, the motor, to you name it. And you can customize it. You can add spoilers. You can add uh, bumpers, fenders, all that stuff. It's really interesting how much you can do on top of all of this customization. It'll unlock individual tunes that you can apply before the races, which the tunes can adjust, uh, you know, your braking to be more stiff versus not stuff like that. I, I'm not fully versed on it cause I'm not a car guy, but I can tell you it's really in depth and really interesting. And it's very much simulation which a lot of simulation racers love this sort of thing. And that's awesome. It's so exciting to see people love that. Not necessarily for me. I will customize cars, but I just look at the numbers and I'm like, okay, what makes this to a 
highest D rank it can be or what a highest B rank it can be or whatever, rather than saying, oh, well, this exhaust is clearly better than this one or whatever, because I just don't know anything about that. Right. I'm and I know I sound a little dismissive of it because I have to be because I just don't get it and I don't have the interest or time or energy to really put into learning that. So car people, please forgive me. I'm not dismissing your interests. I just have to have some level of detachment and uh, otherwise I will become obsessed because there's so much to do in this game and so much that I love. Once you've established your vehicles set up in terms of rating D through S2, you can paint your vehicle with liveries. And what's really cool is that liveries are shareable across the world online. So you go and you check out these liveries. People can apply liveries that exist that they made for their cars and uh, share them with other people. I made a livery called Tally Ho, which has the Union Jack. It's on a BMW, which is really funny, but it has a Union Jack on the front. It's painted all blue with blue tint on the windows and red um, uh, rims. Uh, And then uh, on the very back is the words Tally Ho on the on the trunk (laughs) or the boot. So interesting. It's interesting because I shared that out. I haven't gotten anybody to download it yet, but still, it's really cool because the editor is very intuitive. It's very straightforward. It's very easy to use. And the creations people make with these editors are just insane, whether it be something from a popular TV show, something from anime, something from another video game, logos, businesses, you name it. It's it's being created in Forza and the creativity unleashed by the community is just amazing. And I love just looking through all my cars that I've collected and looking at what skins I can apply to it uh, and and just playing around with that, because to me, the look is more important than the raceability of it. So it's very interesting. And I love the amount and depth that there is that you can do with these. You can just apply tons of layers of shapes and stuff to make really cool skins for these vehicles. So that's a a highlight for me. So overall, I would have to say this game is amazing. I there's a lot to it that I haven't touched on, but that's just because I try to keep these brief. I don't want to go too too in depth to beyond what the core elements are, because everything else is just fluff, right? For me, When I'm looking for a game to play, the core loop has to be solid. And for me, it is the building of combos when you're driving around, getting the highest amount of points you can by I like to go up to the top of mountains and then just jet down the mountain as fast as I can haul ass, hit as many hills as I can knock out as many items as I can to get my multiplier up and get as many points as possible. That's really fun for me. But other people have fun in in staying on the road and doing the races and trying to win those at a higher difficulty and things like that. And that's great because that means there's so much to do and there's so much emergent gameplay. Add to that, there's multiplayer components and those multiplayer components are pretty awesome on their own. They have like a battle, some battle modes. They have some race modes that you can do. And it actually opens up to be a little like Mario Kart in some regards. And there are different battle modes. I haven't really gotten a chance to play those, but I do know they exist. And again, another layer on top of this core gameplay that is just so solid and so fun. So I highly recommend that you check Forza Horizon 4 out. Uh, Mixer was kind enough to hook me up with a key for the game, and I gotta say it is top notch. I love it. And I think, uh, yeah, I didn't have to pay a dime for it, but I, and that's why I disclosed to you. It's up to you to make your decision. But from me, my recommendation is you will not be disappointed, especially if you enjoyed Forza Horizon 3.
Now let's talk about selling out. I like to call this the science of selling out because I think it sounds nice. So there's not a lot of research here. And again, we're going to be venturing pretty much wholly into opinion. And it's not my usual MO, but like I said, I haven't been feeling great. Time has been really limited for me. And so it's been really difficult for me to put the effort and time into doing research for an episode of this. Cause I quite honestly, my, my current priority is getting the next episode of the history of games Bungie done. And there's a lot of research to be done for that. There's a lot of work to be done for that. And it's going to be very difficult for me to knock that out in any kind of a reasonable amount of time solely because it's huge. Bungie's been around for a long time. They have a lot of games under their belt and there's been a lot of struggle and nuance within their own history that is really important to cover, I think. Anyways, so let's go to the science of selling out. So for those who are curious what the hell selling out is, if you've if you've never heard someone say, oh, they're a bunch of sellouts or wow, that that dude totally sold out in regards to content creators, artists, musicians, etc., it's it's pretty much referring to they are catering to an audience that is not their original base audience. They're trying to expand to a more mainstream audience. So let me let me read the Wikipedia definition. So this is a bit long. Selling out is a common idiomatic pejorative expression for the compromising of a person's integrity, morality, authenticity or principles in exchange for personal gain, such as money in terms of music or art. Selling out is associated with attempts to tailor material to a mainstream or commercial audience. For example, a musician who alters his material to encompass a wider audience and in turn generates greater revenue may be labeled by fans who predate the change as a sellout. So pretty much what this means is that it's a it's a perception by fans who were fans before it was cool. The hipsters, as we used to call them, or it's the people who were like, I like this before it was cool. Happened with Pokemon happened with, I honestly, you name it. I mean, look at comic books, look at <laughs> video games. I mean, if, if it exists, there are people who, who have said, I liked it before it was cool or it got popular. Right? So people who view streamers or musicians or artists as content creators, as sellouts are often upset because of a perception of being betrayed betrayal i guess is the easy word another word for this would be jealousy because a lot of the bigger content creators i know who have been labeled as sellouts or have been called sellouts before because quite honestly once you get big it's only a very small minority who would call you a sellout or or what have you so looking looking at the the bigger streamers that i know that have been called this before it's usually related to jealousy. Uh, more often than not, these folks who are jealous, who have envy of what this person has succeeded, will become critics. They'll become armchair streamers themselves, where rather than being excited for somebody for achieving mainstream success and exceeding beyond their normal audience is something to be celebrated. It's quite interesting for me to see. It's also been a shift because I feel like this has changed a lot lately. I feel like the younger generation, I, I'm considered what would be a millennial. Ooh, that's such a bad word, right? Uh, ultimately, I fall in that range. It's 1980 to I think it was 2000. 
2000 is the millennial generation when you were born. And then 2000 on is I think Gen Z right now is what they're being called. Uh, So I find that Gen Z is way more accepting of the idea of expanding your content to a wider audience, to a more mainstream audience, because success is such a good thing for that person. I mean, take a look at people like Ninja. Yeah, he has his detractors, but he is the biggest streamer right now. He's the biggest content creator in his field. And that's really saying something. That's that's a big deal. And a lot of people troll him, give him grief and stuff, but it's undeniable what he's succeeded with. And he gets a lot of praise. And I, I feel that it's pretty deserved for the most part for what he has accomplished. Most of the people who complain about him being a sellout or who complain about him selling out or or what have you are generally from what I've seen older folks or younger people who are listening to the cues of the older folks. So I think it's a lot of just mentality and viewpoint, which I mean, I struggle with this sometimes, too. I, I, I being totally honest is I can't help but say I have felt like some artists that I really respected and appreciated sold out. But I also do respect a lot of artists who acknowledge that what they have done is quote unquote selling out. Like if you look at people like my favorite streamer on Twitch, Brown Man, a.k.a. Ray Narvaez Jr., he always plays on the I'm a sellout, I'm a sellout type type trope, Uh, makes a joke out of it because he has succeeded and done really well. And he owns that success, but he also understands that his original hardcore fans may feel like they're alienated. But I feel like he does a great job of bringing them into the fold, bringing them into his new audience, his his wider reaching audience. That's that's a skill and a talent that a lot of content creators don't have, but it's also not one that they have to have. And I think interestingly it's on the viewer to drop the mentality of, oh, they sold out. Oh, they're not the same person because ultimately they are the same person. They just have to make changes to reach a wider audience and expand. It's something that I have to deal with because personally, from my point of view, um, my stream is growing. My, my channel is growing. My podcast is growing. And I'm not here to pat myself on the back or toot my own horn, but I will run into that because changes have been made to expand my viewership and expand my audience in ways that remove a little bit of the super close uh, feel of my streams. We still have a very close community and a very tight knit community, but the streams are much more open and welcoming to new folks who may not know the rules and know the ropes. It's much less exclusive. And I think that's something that is going to pop up is you sold out. You haven't, stayed true to your content. And it's interesting because from a content perspective, my content hasn't changed that much. My attitude towards it has. So from my own perspective, selling out is not something that involves changing who you are. It involves changing the way that you present your, your, your content and present yourself. It's, it's changing the decorations on the outside, but keeping the inside the same, putting a new wreath on the door to welcome a new season. That's kind of the way that I view it. I found an interesting article on a website called Quartz, which is QZ.com, and there's an article called Millennials Are Totally Cool with Selling Out. There's an interesting quote there that read, For millennials, auctioning off our skills and talents to the highest bidder isn't taboo anymore. 
It's mundane, so much so that some of the youngest millennials may not be familiar with the dilemma at all. They don't even know the meaning of the word. And, you know, it is interesting because that's the that's the exact way that I see it is the younger generation, the folks who were born at the tail end of the millennial generation and this new Gen Z generation don't really fully know what that means because we have to sell our art. It's part of making a living and it's become much more natural and social socially accepted to create art that you are selling and packaging. And this is a hurdle that was really hard to come overcome. And it still is to some extent because of the older generations. If you've ever heard the phrase of stop making content, playing video games or stop playing video games for a living and get a real job. Well, art content creation, music, it is a real job. Now it may not net as much as working at a fortune 500 company, but that's not exactly the ideal. The ideal is being happy with what you're doing. Let me give you some background on kind of my point of view. Content creation is a great escape for me. Working where I do, I work for an insurance company, and it's a bit of being a cog in the machine. You work for a company that is there to solely generate revenue, which is all fine and well because you need to have those for a capitalist system to work to an extent. We won't get into the whole capitalism debate here, but we'll keep it at that. Now, coming from my perspective, my true passion, my true love, and I love technology. I love what I do. I love I love my job. I love being a technology guy. I love knowing a ton about how to configure and tweak and and manage applications and servers and all this crap. That's great. That's so much fun. It's what I went to school for. It's what I love. I've always had a passion for technology. But content creation has become my new number one passion, my my true, my one true love. I realize full well that it's never going to succeed. I'm never going to be able to do it full time if I'm not asking for people to, at the very least, pay in some way, shape or form for the content that I'm creating. We've become used to paying for content. It used to be television. But television used to shaft us. Imagine how much money your parents would spend or you would spend on cable TV. What a rip. You'd get a bunch of TV channels laden with commercials and crappy commercials, and you'd get nine commercials per 30-minute show. You, You pay nothing for websites and you get advertisements on them. So to pay for something like television and still be getting advertisements is is insane to me. It's it's such a foreign concept on how that works. Now, take a look at content creation. I present this show to you commercial free, which may change slightly if I get sponsorships, but there is no obligation for you to pay for it. It is free for you. It is 100% free for you. If you wish to to pay and help support it, that's that is completely your prerogative. So, it's been normalized that Making money off of doing something that takes your time, takes your energy, takes your creativity, doing things that other people may not be able to do, feel comfortable doing is acceptable now. It is something that we as a society have come to the conclusion that it's worth paying for because paying for television and getting the Big Bang Theory with nine ads an episode and, you know, 
mediocre writing and jokes with canned laugh tracks may not be as valuable as watching a an ad before a video on YouTube and an ad in the middle and an ad at the end. You're much more likely to engage with content that has a single ad or no ads that says, hey, I have a Patreon. Go check it out. Feel free to donate. And I think that's where we're ending up. And I think that's really fascinating to me. And I know I'm kind of rambling here, but selling out is such uh, an interesting concept. And there's so much nuance to what it means. But in terms of art, it's just been used as a bludgeon to try to cow content creators, artists, musicians into creating for the same audience they always have and not to grow. And I think what I'm trying to get at is if you have that mentality, please rethink it. Look at it as your favorite content creators are growing beyond their limits or beyond their initial limitations. They are trying to extend themselves and grow in meaningful ways. And they don't only do it for new audience. They do it for you as well. And the reason that they're doing that is because they want to build the best thing for themselves and for their audience. Because I don't know a single content creator personally who does it just for the money or does it just for specific kickbacks. They exist, I'm sure. But the ones that last, the ones that persist, do it because of passion and because of love and because they they in, they truly enjoy it. And that's me. I love what I do. I love doing this. I love talking to you in a microphone for 30 or 40 minutes or whatever. I thoroughly enjoy being able to take what's in my brain, what I've thought about for years, the things that have been kind of pinging around my head since I was a, a little kid and finally present them to you in a way that is meaningful and enjoyable and does something for me as a person and helps me grow and hopefully makes you feel the same way. I think that's enough babbling about selling out, but I just want to drive home that it's really important to let creators grow and to help them grow. And the way you can help them grow is not only by monetary support, while that's important, and supporting a Patreon of a creator that you love, subscribing on their their streaming platform, buying an album, what have you, is really super duper important. It's also really important to support them by social media, spreading the word to your friends, by sending them encouraging messages. It's something that's so often overlooked, but send a message to your favorite content creator and say, hey, I like what you're doing. You're awesome. Thank you so much. And be sure that you try to support what they're doing. If they have, have a podcast, retweet it out. And again, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm just speaking in general because a lot of questions go out on how to, you know, support content creators and things like that. So keep an eye out for their tweets when they post a new podcast and retweet that, you know, listen to their content, visit their streams, tell people about them. These are really important things that can help someone grow that you really like and enjoy. The ICT podcast is written and produced by me, Tim Hosey. Insert Coin Theater is more than a podcast. It's also live streams four days a week at mixer.com slash insert coin theater. But above that, it's also a vibrant and inclusive community on Discord at discord.gg slash ICT. 
If you'd like to support my efforts monetarily and help my content creation efforts become a full-time gig, please consider pledging on the new Insert Coin Theater Patreon page at patreon.com ICT. I'd also like to give a huge thanks to Andy B., our Arcade Master level supporter, and our three other Patreon supporters for helping keep this podcast alive and kicking. If you're unable to support monetarily, please consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. The positive reviews will help bring new listeners to the podcast and will help the show grow in a meaningful way. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or wish to connect with me, please visit me on Twitter at twitter.com slash insertcointim or at Facebook at facebook.com slash insertcointheater or on Instagram at instagram.com slash insertcointheater. My DMs on Discord are always open. You can reach me there by DMing insertcointheater hashtag 6969. The ICT podcast intro and the outro, outro song you're hearing now is created by the supremely talented Ben Burns, also known as Abstraction. You can check out his music at abstractionmusic.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.